History is being written at this very minute. Along with the Spanish influenza, several instances of the cholera and the flu, and the Black Death, the COVID-19 virus is classified as a pandemic, a virus whose spread encompasses the world. Step back and think about that for a minute. We are writing history right now. In a short month or two, everything about society has been turned on its head. How we shop, how we travel, and how we interact has all been changed. We're still meeting one another. Just now, it's online. These online venues are giving us an opportunity to connect in different ways than before. But at the same time, we're beginning to realize just how much those face-to-face interactions meant to us and how much we took them for granted. Hi, I'm Eric Elmas, and I'm the host and producer of the Converging Paths podcast and senior minister of Countryside Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska, on the Tri-Faith Commons, where a church, a synagogue, and a mosque have all co-located to a common 35-acre campus to go beyond interfaith dialogue and into interfaith community. Eric has a unique story. I invited him on the podcast because he provides a lot of different views on how exactly COVID-19 is changing us as a society. For one, Eric tested positive for the virus shortly after the pandemic started. As a minister, during his quarantine, he had to explore new ways that he could use technology to help keep his community to stay in contact, coming up with new avenues to keep in touch. And it's that contact, Eric realized, that's so important. We humans are social creatures. We are not designed to be alone. So how can we make it through this trying time? This is Spark Dialogue Podcast. You could find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or wherever you find your podcasts. Spark Dialogue tells the stories of science and technology and how they're relating to our society, history, religion, culture, and what's going on in your life right now. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Supporters of this podcast will be treated to a host of bonus material thanks to Eric. This includes material from his own podcast, information on how to get a free subscription to his multi-part video series, a video of his interview that aired on CNN where he discussed his experience with the virus, and perhaps most entertaining, the music video of his original song, Pandemic Quarantine Blues, which he recorded while he was in quarantine. As always, thank you for supporting this podcast. For those of you who are not patrons yet but want to learn more, check out patreon.com sparkdialogue or head over to the website at sparkdialogue.com. Learning one is positive with COVID-19 can be a very scary premise. But for Eric, his diagnosis came very shortly after the pandemic started, before we really knew what we were dealing with. And it's partially thanks to him that we learned that the symptoms of this disease are not all alike. What gave me the virus was a little trip to Spain, where I was uh, going to do some research for a trip I'll be leading next year, uh, looking at um, an area of Spain where Jews, Christians, and Muslims used to get along. This kind of a golden era of relationships about a thousand years ago, and I wanted to go investigate that um, before leading a tri-faith trip um, there next year. And so apparently that's where I came down with the virus. When I left for Spain, it was not on the hot list at all. And when I got back, it still wasn't. But a couple of days afterwards, it was put on the hot list. A couple of days after I returned from Spain, I developed um, just a mild cough March 11th. 
I, uh, I got back on the ninth and by the 11th in the afternoon, I was feeling just a very slight cough like I'd normally get during allergy season. So I didn't really think much of it. And again, Spain at that time wasn't on the hot list, but then the next morning I woke up and I still had it and Spain had been put on the hot list. I'd heard on the NPR that morning. So I thought, you know, it doesn't seem like COVID. I mean, they talk about fever and nausea and all these things and all I've got is a slight cough. But then again, I have been in Spain and I'm, I'm the minister of a large church. I've got some, a lot of people I interact with. I better probably be safe and call a hotline and see what they think I ought to do. And I called a hotline and they said, yeah, um, normally we wouldn't test you with just that one symptom, but because you've been to Spain, you should come in. And so luckily I was just able to come in in a matter of hours and I took the test and was quarantined immediately. Um, before getting the results. And, and then a couple of days later I got the results and I was COVID-19 positive. As a minister of this community on the tri-faith commons, I have a lot of um, exchange and, and interaction with people, multiple faiths. And I was doing all my social distancing and, and hand washing and all that good stuff. But still, um, man, it, they, it, when they all was said and done, 30 people ended up going into quarantine uh, from all three of the Abrahamic faiths. <laughs> as a result of of, of my uh, having the, the virus. So we were all um, in quarantine suddenly. And so I have the curious distinction of actually exposing leaders of three major world religions to the coronavirus, unfortunately. So of the approximately 30 people went into quarantine, there were about nine people who did start exhibiting symptoms, some uh, mild, some severe. So they were all tested and happily all of them tested negative for coronavirus. So actually none of the people who went into quarantine actually caught it. Um, so that was a, a great relief. The The big concerning thing to me and the rest of us was the fact that um, one could be carrying the virus with with such a, so little symptoms. At the time, there wasn't much talk about asymptomatic people or people with very mild symptoms. And so everybody's expecting like, yeah, you got to have a fever and be throwing up or whatever. And, and here I was feeling basically perfectly fine. I had this mild cough and it only lasted for four days um, even after I was tested. So, I mean, it was, it was just really, um, I mean, I was tested on a Thursday and by Sunday my cough was gone and, and that was it. So at that point, you know, once I was tested, I realized okay, if I'm carrying it and I'm asymptomatic, more people need to know that there are people like me out there. Um, we need to really move to a shelter in place policy a lot sooner than we think we need to because there's all kinds of people out there that may just have one symptom and and maybe they haven't gone to Spain or something. Maybe they're infected by someone like me and even un, unknowingly. And so that now they have a mild cough and and they don't have any travel history. Nobody would be suggesting they get tested. Nobody would be thinking any different and they'd, yet they'd be exposing lots and lots of people to the virus. This was in mid-March. At the time, most of us were still talking about figuring out who had COVID-19 by taking temperatures alone. It was business as usual for the most part. Restaurants and airports were checking people for a fever, but other than that, we were still interacting. We didn't know that there were people who had very different symptoms. And then, here is Eric. He has a mild cough for a few days, and that was it. It's important that people understand this, Eric thought. After all, people with minor symptoms can still be vectors for this disease as well. So he decided to go on an interview with CNN. 
My motivation was surely um, alarm that, again, people like me could be walking around out there, that, that there wasn't nearly enough action towards shutting things down. Uh, the, the, at the time, the only place in the entire country that had offered a shelter-in-place kind of scenario was a few counties in California. And I just, I was very alarmed. I wanted to let the world know. I mean, it might have been a little bit embarrassing to me. I, I'm a virus carrier. I'm a virus carrier. But I didn't care about that. I just want to make sure that people uh, knew and they could factor that into their um, their lifestyle. And, and hopefully governments could factor that into policy. So Eric is diagnosed. He feels fine, but he realizes that in the next several weeks, he must be in quarantine. Now, most of us right now are sheltering in place. We're separated from our coworkers, classmates, and friends. But to be quarantined is one step further. No trips to the grocery store, no walks outside. You can't even interact with your own family. You're cut off completely from all physical interactions. Eric, however, is a pastor of a congregation, and his quarantine was anything but boring. Well, probably for the sake of my marital relationship, it was it was good for me to be in quarantine because suddenly my life actually got extremely busy. Um, I was able to actually um, self-quarantine in a separate house than my wife and um, at the time. And and I was I was busy from seven o'clock in the morning till midnight because, you know, I was trying to then also keep a 1300 member church together and how are we setting up our systems and oh we, we definitely are going to be worshiping online this weekend and and what's that going to be who's who's submitting video and who's who this being made and 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 how do we keep our congregation together when they can't see each other and 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 communicate the ways they normally do so um, actually i started i ended up joking with people it's like i can't wait for this quarantine to be over so that my life can slow down a little bit <laughs> but it really hasn't slowed down um, much at all. In fact, I mean, for our whole staff, our lives got um, have have been a lot busier just because it's um, you know we're trying to keep a whole congregation together who can't physically see one another and yet um, want community and lots of reasons and, and needs and desires for communication. And so um, we've been we've been quite quite busy. And, and then with the online worship, then it's been really. Uh, incredibly busy tr- trying to produce an hour worth of content that's decent and 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 attractive and makes you feel like worship rather than just simply watching something on your your television or your or your computer screen. So it's been um, it's been challenging, um, but I am also a you know in the Myers Briggs uh, scale I'm a polarized introvert and you know, most people don't think that ministers I mean they think that ministers would be extroverts but 75 percent of us are actually introverts. So being alone is not really a problem for me. Um, I, I enjoy uh, personal space and I, I enjoy kind of that contemplative kind of isolation too. So, I mean, I, it was kind of a drag of obviously being away from my wife and, and, but it was kind of easy for me too. She was cooking the meals, bringing them over and I, I just working all day and she'd bring meals and we would get on. Um, we have a, one of those Facebook portals. And so we would that night, uh, when we had, you know, a couple hours, we might, or an hour anyway, we would sit down and watch our favorite television show and put our portals on so we could at least see each other watching the TV and <laughs> stuff like that. We had to get creative with our communication. Watching TV with the wife via Facebook portal. Now that's something that couldn't have happened if this pandemic hit even a decade ago. And think about all the ways that we're connecting. Video calls on Zoom, social media, conferences that are being moved to online events. 
people are learning new technologies so as many of us as possible can work from home. Technology that is allowing us to be present with each other, even when we can't be physically present. Yeah, it's really turned into something quite extraordinary. We just had an all-board meeting the, um, on Tuesday night. So all of our boards were meeting via Zoom. So we gave everybody Zoom pro accounts, all the, 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 the chairs of the committees and boards. And so I was actually able to spend a few minutes in every single board and committee in our church, which is that would have been impossible without Zoom. So it was actually, there, there are ways that this is actually creating greater opportunity for FaceTime and, and communication than we would in the, when we're having to meet up or thinking we had to meet up physically. At this time, there was still a lot of uncertainty in our path forwards. Many churches were still open. People were still going to restaurants. But big things were changing. Some schools were beginning to close. The Bay Area in San Francisco issued a shelter-in-place order. And as a pastor of a church, Eric had to ask himself, should I be thinking about closing down my own church? So the, the question about closing down the church was one that I brought up immediately on upon returning from Spain, just having watched the news and so forth. So I at that time I had no symptoms and there was no notion that I had the virus, but um, I was having to kind of defend, like, I think we need to be shutting down the church this weekend. And people were like, what? You know, we had people all kinds of be like, what? What? Why? Why would we do that? And of course, then I get diagnosed and like everybody's like, we need to shut down the church. So we, but we'd all actually already made the decision before I got diagnosed with COVID positive because we just wanted to exercise an abundance of caution. And happily, there were a number of communities in Omaha that, that had made that, made that decision too. And now, of course, everybody's doing that. But his communication with his congregation did not end. Eric and his church leaders explored ways that they could keep in touch with people online. We didn't just close down the, the church. Then we, we also then, of course, started streaming worship on on live stream. And in fact, now we're, we also signed a contract with a local television station so we could be broadcasting on, on the television since we're, we're shut down. And, and then we also, uh, we had, I started calling around, finding out what are the people doing, like in Seattle, where there were several weeks ahead of us and found a church that had divided their congregation into groups of 10 and had people calling um, 10 people regularly to check in on them. And I thought that was a brilliant idea. And so we committed to dividing up our entire church into groups of 10 and making sure we had people calling. And so that's still going on. And that's been an incredibly wonderful thing to be doing. It really helps keep our our fingers on the pulse of the community and ferret out needs that would have gone unknown. Um, and also positive feedback, you know, the, what we're doing online or what have you. Um, so it's been a really great way of communicating and keeping in touch with people on a very personal level and assessing needs that, that are as they arise. Eric and his church moved all of the celebrations online. He sits on his sofa in his living room with his fluffy little white dog sitting at his side he talks at his camera and plays music. People watch him on live stream or later on YouTube. But when he's recording, he can't see his audience. In his perspective, he isn't alone in his room with just his camera, his dog, his microphone, and his God. Well, it's hard because I love people and I love my congregation quite a bit. And, and, and of course, it's always nice for a public speaker to be able to read faces. Um, so you, you can kind of tell what's going on and also when you when you're 
when you're a pastor of a church for long enough, I think you there's an energetic thing too. You kind of intuitive energetic thing that you feel the energy, not just see it. And I've found that, um, so that's difficult. But on the other hand, um, for five years, we had an online television program brought up on, on, we actually had the world's first interactive broadcast quality television program on the internet for five years called Darkwood Brew. And so that really made me a lot more comfortable with speaking into a, a camera. Um, Really, when I preach, I actually think I'm only, I, I think of myself as only speaking to one person. You can't really think about speaking to a crowd so much as, as one person. So, in a sense, I can look at that camera and imagine that one person that I'm, I'm speaking to there, too. So, it's, it's, it's difficult. It takes some time, but I've kind of worked that out through the Darkwood Brew. And so, it's, it feels pretty natural to me, actually, even, but it, it's just harder on the heart level. Like, I miss these people. I want to hug them. I want to see them. And, can't do that. I've also found the more ways I can kind of interact, you know, I created this, uh, I shifted my converging paths podcast to, uh, cover the pandemic in different ways to, we spiritually move through that. And so every time, even though it's kind of one directional, I know I'm also touching people in different ways. And so that kind of satisfies a little bit of that itch too, that just knowing, Hey, there's some contact here that I'm helping to create and, and be part of. Of course, his congregation is alone as well. They're sitting in their own living rooms or their bedrooms, watching Eric and the service online. Even for Easter week, celebrations felt different this year. So far, we've actually had overwhelmingly positive feedback from the congregation. It's been very gratifying. Um, they're appreciating the, the the worship. They're appreciating the calls. And, and, that, and that's, that, that's kind of how we know, too. Those calls are passing along a lot of warm uh, feelings, as well as just along with the, the anxiety, just that we're all feeling about coronavirus and, and how long this is going to be and what's this doing, the economy and all those things. So happily on the church level, the congregation has been, been you know, very happy, even as everybody really expresses, I can't wait till we can get back together again. This weekend, for instance, can be kind of especially hard because this would be the week that we would have our confirmands um, confirmed. So we have about 20 kids who, uh, would normally be up in front of the congregation and we do a laying on of hands and all that. And obviously we can't do that. So we'll be kind of doing an online recognition of their confirmation. And then we'll kind of wait until we can physically get back together and we'll make more of the physical and liturgical act of confirmation um, part of that grand celebration. But this weekend's going to be kind of tough. We have these kids who've been working for two years and, you know, <laughs> well, here's their photograph on a screen, you know, that kind of thing. So that, kind of pinches you in the gut a little bit. Being on an interfaith commons, Eric's church shares common land with a Jewish temple and a Muslim mosque. Faith leaders of these traditions had an opportunity to compare notes. And as Eric prepared his congregation to celebrate Easter, he could also look at how his fellow congregations were thinking about planning Passover and Ramadan. They compared with one another. How are you dealing with the fact that your congregations can't physically come to celebrate and pray with you. Yeah, the benefit of being on a on a commons like this is that that um, you can share. Everybody's kind of sharing information. What are you doing? What are you doing? And so we've kind of been doing that. And everybody's, of course, on, online. And and there's been some fun kind of cross pollination. For instance, for Monday Thursday this year, um, we wanted to focus on its connection to a seder meal and the different ways that understanding a Jewish Passover seder helps us understand the Last Supper and communion. And 
Temple Israel, the Jewish synagogue, was going to hold an online Zoom Passover Seder the night before Monday, Thursday, and they were also supplying their congregations. You could you could order a box of, of Passover food. And so I called them and said, you know, will you allow a Gentile to, to order a box of food if I pay for it? <laughs> They're like, absolutely. Yeah, I'll do that. And, and could I join your Zoom session? Could I maybe record a little bit of it too, to, to salt in pieces of your own Seder and like, absolutely do that. And, and so that's what happened. I, uh, I filmed that Seder and then I also took the, the, the Passover meal and I prepared the Seder for my, my wife and I, and we filmed that. And then I edited that together showing snippets of our own Seder and my commentary on the connection between Passover and the last supper. And we would then zoom, we would kind of cut to shots of a real Jewish Passover Seder in action too. And it was, it was just an incredible experience. And uh, then this weekend, this for this Sunday, literally yesterday, I, I took a trip to Des Moines with the Imam, Imam Jamal Daoudi, and we were going to do this um, uh, this kind of road trip kind of sermon kind of thing and, and reflections on the road. Um, and so I, I've got, you know, we spent, <laughs> we spent about five hours together driving to Des Moines and then driving back. And, um, and then just having different conversations on the road together. And so that's been, it, I mean, being part of this tri-faith thing, I mean, I cannot tell you how fun it is. It is, and just how, what, what a great generosity of spirit everybody has on this, this commons. And, and we're just, we, we get, we do, we've definitely moved way beyond just interfaith dialogue and, and it's truly emerging as a, interfaith community countryside has been on the commons since uh, a year now a year ago april and it's just it's been a the high point of over 65 years of ministry for our church this pandemic is very different than other historical events of our lives Many world events are based in the political arena, the economy, or technology. But there's something different about this event. Sure, it has all those elements too, but it has something else, something unique. It has a huge introspective element. Being alone in our homes, our thoughts turn inward. How can we maintain our health, physical and mental? How can we use this time to improve ourselves and our lives? Where do we look for happiness? Well, I'm reminded, I've been reminded several times over the course of this pandemic, the Blaise Pascal's quote about how most of the world's problems stem from the fact that, that most people have a hard time being alone in a room. <laughs> the conversely, that maybe a lot of the problems could be solved if we could learn how to be alone in a room. And so you know, part of me is cautiously optimistic that some of this alone time might help us get into our inner selves and kind of start to draw from some of those wellsprings that continue to feed us that we ignore for most of our lives and our busyness and help slow us down to notice the, the sacrality of the earth and and to appreciate the things that maybe we took for granted before we were so heavily quarantined. Um, I think that's, to me, the, the most important thing that all of us can do is, is we spend so much time worried about what's invisibly present that could kill us, but how about those things that are not only invisibly present, but very, very, very visibly present that, that bless us. And can we get reacquainted and, and reconnected or connected more deeply to the sacred that surrounds us at all times? At the same time, 
I mean, on a more darker note, I think that this pandemic really does have the quality of putting a mirror up to all of us and kind of helping us see our lives from a little different vantage point than we normally are used to looking at our lives through. And and what we see in that mirror, you know, some things may be delightful and beautiful and like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I see myself in this new way and I, and I like that. But there's also things I think that probably all or most of us experience that we look at that mirror and say, Hmm, I'm not so impressed with a few things too. And for me, that's been some of the things I, I I take for granted. I I try to be mindful about my, my eating and my, and the, my material possessions and be thankful that I I have these things and, and not just simply take them for granted. But I realized even making a concerted effort, I'm, I'm quite far from, (laughs) um, from, really the level I probably should be. And also, I mean, for me personally, I, it, it threw a a darker image of myself up to um, that very first Sunday that I broadcasted online. And, you know, I wanted to, to assure my car, everybody was stressed out like, Oh, Eric's got coronavirus. Oh my gosh. Is he okay? Is he, he's dying? Is he what? And, and of course I, I myself initially had to kind of go through that, that kind of wild, um, mental calculations like, okay, I feel good, but it's too early. I mean, who knows where this could people who get diagnosed and who die only have an average of 17 days between the onset of their symptoms and, and death. And, and so I have to also consider the fact that there is a possibility that I might be dead 17 days from now. And um, so it kind of triggered that internal self analysis kind of thing. And, and happily, I actually, that was a, a beautiful thing for me. I realized, well, I wouldn't want to do anything differently. I feel engaged. I feel good about life. I feel good about my relationships, uh, overall. And, and so, yeah, if I need to go, I can go and I can be at peace with that. Um, but I knew my congregation may not have, you know, gone through that rapid amount of, uh, thinking about my own life or, theirs. And, and I wanted to assure them that I was okay. And Hey, you know, we're all in this together and we're, we're going to be okay. And I put a little bit too much spin on, you know, just showing people how, you know, happy and healthy I, I really am. And, and cause I, again, I only had a mild cough and, and, and how, Hey, we're, we can do this. And, um, and I felt good about the service. And then I started getting this feedback, like people were like, there were a number of people were quite upset by that, service. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? Why? Well, I, I actually did not acknowledge the darker part, the, the struggles that people were already having. And, you know, here I'd put 30 people into quarantine and, and hadn't really acknowledged that, that, you know, I certainly had disrupted their lives right then. And I thought, God, you know, that's, that wasn't good. And yeah, I made a mistake and, but I had hours to plan that service and, and think it through. And yet I still made that mistake. And you know, what is it about me that, that just allowed me to kind of overlook that, that dark part that people were feeling. And, and so I, you know, I, and I started, I had to do some cr- really critical thinking about, you know, you know how, what, what, how could I have made that mistake and have, do I privilege maybe these big projects that we can all work on together sometimes get more excited about that than, uh, than, than maybe the real true, you know, that human pain on a very individual level. Um, I can, get excited about looking at this pandemic from 30,000 feet and see how eventually this could do us a lot of good. It could help us with the, the, the environment. It could help us with getting reacquainted with what's real, uh, dialed into reality a little more. 
uh, tightly, which could be a wonderful thing, but we're not there yet. We're in the midst of the crisis. And, and so I, my kind of thinking ahead to where this could work out really is not a particularly helpful thing to talk about while we're in the midst of a lot of pain and suffering and unemployment and people losing their lives and grieving loved ones who have been lost and so forth. And and maybe one thing we can get out of this, or I can get out of this anyway, or have gotten out of this is just a reminder that darkness and light can exist together. And you can't just have a, even the bright candle is not particularly bright, doesn't look bright unless it has the dark background to it. Right. And so, yeah, just another reminder, it's okay to, to feel both the joy and the pathos. We're living in history right now. We may be alone physically, but technology is allowing us new ways to communicate that weren't available just a few years ago. After all, you've let me into your ears through this podcast. No, it's not as good as face-to-face contact, but it is a way that we all can stay in contact. And maybe, just maybe, it will help us not to take each other for granted once we can be in contact once again. Spark Dialogue Podcast is produced by me, Elizabeth Fernandez. You can find us on the web at sparkdialogue.com, on Facebook and Twitter, or any of your podcasting platforms. Remember, if you're a patron of this podcast, check out the bonus material generously provided by Eric on patreon.com slash sparkdialogue. Thank you for joining us today, and see you in two weeks for another episode. Some of the background music you heard was produced by me. Others are clips from The Long Goodbye by John Pazdan, Quiet Rain by Only Meath, Route 17 by DJ Olege, and Millennials by Analog by Nature. More information about these songs and links can be found in the show notes at sparkdialogue.com. <laughs>